0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: If if, if your blood runs orange and blue, 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 this this is the pod for you. you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by by E.J. Stewart and Tommy Beard. Let's get to it, New York.
2: A win is a win, I guess. It's EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer. this is on the Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast on the Odyssey, WFN original. We have a really great show for you guys. We will be talking about this Knicks win. They did survive the Miami Heat in game two. It was not their prettiest win at all. I'm very curious here what my guy Tommy Beer has to say about this win. We'll talk about what happened. We'll talk about what happened with Jimmy Butler not playing. Randall did play in this game, so we'll break everything that down that happened in this game. Also, we have a great guest for you guys. We got Alex Dono. He uh, co-hosts the Red Hot Hoops Miami Heat podcast with Odyssey Sports Network. So we'll get his thoughts on game two and his thoughts on this series from a Miami perspective. We've had some really great guests on the show. And Alex, I know, will bring the heat, no pun intended, as well. So we'll have that for you. And our last NBA award before the All-NBA stuff gets out. And Knicks will go home empty-handed, Executive of the Year not going to Leon Road, despite the agenda I was trying to push. So I'll tell you guys where he finished. I'm not very happy about it. I'm very curious how Tommy feels about it. Speaking of Tommy, Tommy, of course, joins me as always. Tommy, game two is a dub, but how are you feeling after it?
0: When, if, and when the Knicks win four games in the series, they're not going to ask how many points they won each game by. They're not going to ask if it was pretty, um, if the ratings were good, if, you know, every, everything, uh, if it was, uh, an easy cruise to victory, um, it's the first to four Nick's got one. You need one to get the four. Um, it was ugly. It was a rock fight. Um, but I think that's kind of what we expected going to the series. They played their first must win game of the postseason. Um, people forget this is a relatively young group, not very experienced. This was an important learning lesson in how to win a game that you play poorly in. Um, mm-hmm. I thought the uh, some of the defensive game plans were a little bit flawed. Shot-making the first half was ugly, basically the first three quarters. Um, but ultimately, Knicks dug it out. Um, we got a best-of-five, Knicks versus Heat. Um, going down to South Beach, um, series still very much uh, on the table. And I think that's what you would hope for going into game two. Um, and it's still the case coming out of game two. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that ugly game two.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to talk about a Knicks loss. It's better to talk about a Knicks win following a struggling, uh, tough performance yes. like that. So we'll get right to it. Again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WFN original. A podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app, Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service so you get these episodes every time we drop. Drop three times a week. This is episode two this week, so make sure uh, you catch all the episodes we drop again three times a week. Odyssey uh, Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Also, check us out on YouTube. You can catch us on the WFAN channel and the Odyssey sports channel as well to watch the video version of this podcast. So um, it was not pretty, but the Knicks survived a shorthanded Miami Heat team to squeak out a win in game two. The Heat. We're playing without Dream Butler, but put forth a very inspired effort thanks to the uh, the play of Gabe Vincent. He had 21 points in this one. Caleb Martin had 22 points in this one. Um, the Knicks were trailing by as much as six in the fourth quarter, and were finally able to get over the hump. deck. some big baskets from Jalen Brunson, who had 30 in this game. Josh Hart, he nailed some clutch threes in this one. He had 14, 11, and nine, almost got a triple-double in this one. He had some big threes, and that was the reason why the Knicks were able to pull ahead. Um, this was the return of Julius Randle. Randall had missed uh more than a week's time with an ankle injury. He came back into the lineup. He looked pretty strong. He had a really good game, 25 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists. RJ Barrett really carried the Knicks through uh some rough quarters there, especially the first three quarters of this game. But he was really one of the constants in this one. He had 24 uh, on eight of 17 shooting. He did not close this game, which was uh by Tibbs account a coaching decision. I'm very curious what Tommy thought about that. But let's begin with why the Knicks were able to win this game despite the struggles in your eyes, Tommy, like this is a game to me. And I was in the building. It was a weird crowd. It was a tense crowd. And the Knicks didn't give them much reason to really cheer or really get after it. And I think the heat played with house money. And I think that the crowd allowed them to feel very comfortable because the Knicks weren't giving them a reason to feel uncomfortable. So how are the Knicks able to win this game? And also why did they struggle so much?
0: Uh, I'll answer the first question first. Um, six po- Knicks are down six points, 93-87, uh, about eight minutes left in the in the fourth. Garden's tight. Um, Brunson comes down, hits a three-pointer. Um, following possession is the four-point play um, where uh, Hardenstein sets a screen, gets a foul on on Bam. Brunson knocks down the three-pointer. Um, basically from that stretch, um, you know, credit to Spolstra, credit to the the crew of undrafted guys that you know yep. basically came out of the wood, woodwork um, to you know, to to really make this a tight contested stressful game for nick fans um, but at the end of the day Brunson and Hart the Villanova guys you know kind of put the team on their back um, and 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 that was the final 7 minutes of regulation Hart scored 10 points Brunson scored 10 points the entire heat team combined scored 12 points mm-hmm. um Two biggest shots of Josh Hart's probably NBA career. Um, that first corner three with about five minutes left to put the Knicks up three. He came back and cut it to one. Hart hit that, up, that second three-pointer. Um, keep in mind. The, the strategy for Miami coming into the series was to dare Josh Hart to take yep. and make three pointers. He was, for, he, he was 0 for. He had missed seven three pointers in a row, dating back to game first quarter of game four of the Cleveland series. Um, that was the last three pointer he had hit. He um, had missed seven in a row um, 0 for four in game one, 0 for two, first three quarters of, of, game, uh, of game two. Um, still, shot clock running down. Buries that three. Um, crowd gets excited, hits another three, um, eventually hit those two, two free throws to seal the contest after the Duncan Robinson three-pointer after the Julius Randle yeah. brain fart, which uh scared the bejesus out of everyone watching. Um yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so Brunson and Hart, you know, is, is the answer to that. how did they, but I, I don't want to short shrift Isaiah Hartenstein. Um play that. Yes. He, I, to me, he gets the game ball. Um, his numbers don't jump out. I um, actually was re-watching the fourth quarter this morning, and I was stuck. It seemed everything that positive that happened for New York had his fingerprints all over. I actually, um, in the post this morning, 7, 7, 7.30 mark. Uh, again, Knicks are down six uh Knicks are down 5 at this point actually. Um Hardenstein 7-footer 6'42 he sets the screen uh you know um uh, 608 uh, sets a screen on Cody Martin Brunson makes a jumper over Duncan Robinson two offensive rebounds the next possession 445 Hardenstein sets a screen for Josh Hart 407, Hardenstein uh, has the screen assist for Brunson three-pointer. Um, in the game, had a, had a game-high seven screen assist leading to 17 Knicks points. His offensive rebounding, his heart, his hustle, his effort on, on both sides of the floor um, really were a difference maker for the Knicks in that contest. So, um, special shout out to, to Isaiah Hardenstein. Um, so, yeah, I think that's ca- kind of the big picture, how the Knicks were able to pull away. Um, the downside is that it was a close game, that the Knicks were losing heading into the halftime, and losing um, with eight minutes left and I think a lot of that had to do um, with the defensive game plan going in we knew once Jimmy Butler was ruled out that the only prayer that Miami had was to bomb in a ton of threes get to the free throw line muck up the game make it ugly um, and hopefully they hit more threes than, than than the Knicks Um, and have a big discrepancy behind the arc. And essentially that's what they did attempted 49 threes made 17. Um, Fortunately for New York, they got a little cold at the end, but the drop coverage, having Mitchell Robinson drop behind, um, you know, off screens was very frustrating. Um, Again, you can live if 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 Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson and Kevin Love and Max Strus are going to slice into the lane and yeah. crack and and make layups or you know kick out then you can live with that you cannot allow with those guys shooting wide open threes they had far too many of them um but uh, eventually Nick's got the job done um i'm sure you were frustrated by that uh, defensive approach as well
2: yeah i mean sitting in the crowd for that game and it was a great experience being in the garden for that game first time I was at a playoff game but um, as I tweeted, I had dental appointments more enjoyable than that next game. I got to be honest. It, it was it was tough to watch, and it was funny. You know, it's bad when I tweet out this defense is awful, and then people are tweeting me, "Well, the offense is bad too." And then they tweeted me, "Well, you know what? You're right. This defense is bad." Like that's how it was. It was like there were stretches in the game where you could have picked either side of the wall and what was awful. There are stretches of the game where the defense is awful. There are stretches of the game where they could not score. That second quarter. I was like what what are they actually doing? Like at a certain point it just looked like the Knicks were had it looked like the Knicks were playing with two guys. It looked like Randall and RJ were the only players uh the Knicks had doing anything offensively. It was it was a bizarre game. It's almost one of those games where if you're the Knicks, I almost feel like you say okay, let's just flush that film down the toilet yeah. cuz nothing we did in that game is really going to help us win any game moving forward in this series. I think if you take some positives from this one, one Randall looked really good coming from the ankle injury. Like, and the fact that he once again was able to come back from an injury, having not played a certain amount of time and be that productive, is really impressive. Like, I, don't, I now I, I think once an accident, two's a trend and there's three's evidence. We're at the part where two's a trend here, where I think he plays with a different level of focus coming off of an injury. Because when he came out in game one against Cleveland, we saw how he started that first half. It was stunning how well he played. And you're like, wow, like this is, this is, he wasn't playing that great before he got hurt. Like, this is the best he played in a while, that first half against Cleveland in game one. And then we saw the rest of that series. He struggled so, so, so much in that series. You're like, what's going on? I really think that he's able to kind of get out of his head about like the situation and the pressure. He can just focus on playing the game and like staying healthy in the game. And I think that takes away a lot of the pressure because he, he played uh, aggressive. He played, um, a mostly clean game. He didn't make perfect decisions, but he also wasn't like a disaster with the turnovers. Like He wasn't the reason why they were down um, offensively. Defensively, he had a lot of issues, but offensively, he, he played really well. So that's one positive. I think the other positive I take away from it, I mean, Hardenstein is, was a, a monster. I mean, he was a beast. Him going after every loose ball, the way he was playing defense. He had a floater in the lane in the fourth quarter. I mean, he was awesome. Don't want to discredit him. Don't want to discredit hard Don't want to discredit RJ, because he now is starting to put together like four or five games on in a row where he's just getting 25. Like he he looks like a bucket now. So that's really great news on that side. But I think the, the main takeaway from a positive standpoint is guy be Brunson being able to clearly kind of like nuck up to uh, fight through whatever he was going through. Because that was the worst first half I've ever seen Jalen Brunson play at a Knick, in a Nick uniform. He was passive. He looked like he really couldn't explode. He just was out there. He, I mean, it's rare you watch a game and say Jalen Brunson is having zero impact. But that's what happened in the first half. He had zero impact on that game. And I know they said that there was a pep talk that he had. Like at some point in that game, that kind of got the team going. I don't know if he needed to get himself going or he just needed to kind of power through whatever ankle injury he's dealing with. We know that he was questionable coming into the game. But to see him change the entire landscape of that game with his shot making, in the second half powering through whatever physical issues he was dealing with showed why he's a special player, why he is deserving of being, you know, a franchise player for this team. Why, you know, maybe in the future, he ends up becoming the next captain of the New York Knicks. Like that, that to me is what I saw from him. That was a special performance from that regard. I kind of, it kind of, I'm kind of upset that like they played so poorly. They kind of, we kind of glossing over that, like played so poorly. You don't even want to celebrate how great Brunson was, but it's like, Man, Brunson was playing on a clearly bad ankle, and the Knicks season was about to be over. They were about to lose that game and be probably dispatched in four games in this series that they don't win. And Brunson said, not on my watch. And that, I think, uh, for that reason, Jalen Brunson deserves a lot of credit.
0: Yes, 100%. 23 points in the biggest half of the season. You know, and the biggest half, the Knicks have played in decades. Um, on a clearly, I, I will admit, yes, it was great to see him come through in the clutch and you know deliver like he had hoped. I am worried about Brunson's ankle going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, because this wasn't just, you know, he, he tweaked his ankle in the second quarter of game one and kind of scuffled through it. This is a sore ankle and just said it just kind of snuck up on him and started giving him pain. Um, that concerns me. Um, he tweaked it in the second quarter. You could see yep. he was clearly in pain. Um, that was concerning. As you mentioned, the first half was almost alarming in the fact that he just didn't have that lift. Shot was flat. Shot was short. Um, yep. So a ton of credit for him for, for white knuckling through the, the the second half. Um, but I will admit I'm concerned about that that ankle going forward. Um, as the Knicks, you know, like, likely looking at a seven game series if somehow they escape and move on to the next round. Um, I have all the faith in the world in Brunson when he's healthy. Let let's just hope he's you know again the three days of rest not only help Jimmy Baller, they will help um, uh, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle as well. Um, speaking of Randall, as you mentioned, a ton of credit um, for him uh, first Nick in 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 history um, with 25, 12, and eight eight assists in in a playoff game um so you know at least to to matrix see those numbers um again coming back and i think you make a good point um when you think about it randall didn't fight with the referees yesterday he wasn't you know he wasn't it's it's almost like he focused his energy on just showing that he was healthy and kind of maybe he was just okay i just need to get through this game and not like expend excess energy worrying about calls or officials um you know, all that kind of nonsense. Um, we, we, you know, it, it was just, it was clear that, and that's the best version of Randall, that focus. Yeah, Because he's always, this intensity is always there, but sometimes it's kind of misused and, and funneled towards, you know, counterproductive items like uh you know foul calls and and, and yeah. some other stuff and teammates and you know
2: trying to do too much yeah
0: trying to do too much and spins into the lane etc um so i so i thought that was encouraging um you know so so yes but but overall he looked a lot better than, than i thought he would physically and again he has Same. Days to come off so um hopefully he should be good to go saturday and kind of you know a little bit trending in that that positive direction
2: I mean we talk about the issues from this game i mean offense I'm not going to harp on it so much because I think a lot of it had to do with the heat going zone, which surprise, surprise the Knicks can't score against the zone. Who would have guessed that? I mean, I feel like we've talked about that all season. They ended up kind of figuring it out, I think Harden signed, setting those good screens at the top of the key. Knicks deciding that their best effort was to screen the, on the ball, get Brunson kind of going downhill and kind of moving from there. And they were able to get some shots and they started making shots. That was also a positive sign because they were missing everything in game one. So, They figured it out offensively. I'm not going to go harp so much on that. This defense has got to get better. I mean, that's a game where you got guys missing assignments. Guys are dying on every screen. Um, Guys just not paying attention. I mean, Julius Randle is two passes away, and he's, you know, on the other side of the court, skipping it over to the baseline to a wide-open Kalen Martin. He's nowhere to be found. Um, You know, Kyle Lowry's getting trapped in the corner. He's skipping all the way to the other side. Obi Top is guarding nobody. Uh, Jalen Brunson's one pass away on Struess not denying the ball. They just swing the ball to the corner and shoots his a three. Like some of this stuff was just like insane. And then that is, I didn't mention anything about the drop coverage, which was a lot of the threes that were happening too with Gabe Vincent. Like, I mean, they've got to tighten up. Now I think he'd get away with a lot of moving screens. It was driving me crazy. Like they they move on, they move on every screen, but look, this, that's how it's going to get called. So it's got to adjust. They got to start switching some of these more. I don't want to see Brunson guarding Struis. Like, I think Struis going out in that game also helped the Knicks because Struis moves more than any other player on the heat. I don't know. If you have a guy with a bad ankle, why am I going to put him on a guy who they're going to run most of their action through now that Jimmy Butler is out? I thought that that was a stupid decision to begin with, and it almost hurt. It almost cost the Knicks the season because Struis got really hot, too. So defensively, they got to rip up pretty much that entire game plan, especially if this is a series where Butler doesn't play in game three and they kind of have to go with a similar game plan. Cause the only chance they had was to shoot a bunch of threes. And Nick seemed to be acquiescing to that because that's how they play every team. And that almost again, costing this game.
0: The Yes. Uh, the, 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 so the game plan was flawed in certain respects. Um, again, you had to chase shooters off the three-point line. Um, you can get beat in other ways. Also, and, and that also part of that is trusting your help defender, funnel them in the middle, and let Mitch and and Hardenstein clean up the mess if and when they get into the paint. Um, because again, you don't have to chase Lowry around screens, and, and when he goes in the paint, he's not looking to yeah. shoot. He's, look, he's looking to distribute. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. So so that that's one thing. The other issue is just from a, a functionality standpoint, Brunson. It has never been a good defender he's playing on one ankle he is a horrible defender he's
1: killing um, him right now
0: yeah. he's killing them on the defensive end and he rightfully so are targeting it and attacking him relentlessly and even when they don't attack him he's you know short you know he's not quick enough to close out on 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 taller shooters even when on strong side help um he's 3 feet away and, and just doesn't have the quickness to get out to the shooters doesn't have the height yeah. to contest um so it's th- that's a mess on that end they basically have to figure out a way you can't take him off the floor because he's their best right. offensive player, um, you're the most consistent, efficient scorer. He's the best clutch shooter, so you can't take him off the floor late in games. Um, so there, there's a lot there. And, and you know, so they, they have to kind of game plan around that. But again, there are ways to, to you know, to hide him defensively. They've done that successfully throughout the season. Um, you know, and that, that's something that Tibbs has to work on going forward.
2: And I think Brunson's poor defense costs RJ finishing this game. Yeah, because Tibbs saw they couldn't stop anybody, and he's like, I gotta get Grimes in there, okay? I gotta get another guy who can chase people around. And RJ was doing okay. I mean, you know, uh, Vincent did a couple of shots, but part of it's because RJ's guarding a point guard now, yes, because uh, Brunson couldn't guard his his, his matchup, it's and unfair to, yeah, yeah it's, guard those right. So RJ's kind of guarding a guy he shouldn't be guarding anyway. And I thought he was doing okay, and he was giving good effort. I watched the game again, uh, this afternoon. And then he had to come out the game because they're like, yo, we need Grimes out there because, again, Brunson – like, we have to keep Brunson out there because he's the best player. But RJ was playing so well, like, it, it put Nick time kind of in a tough bind. I kind of – I don't really blame Tiz for what he did. I know some people were upset about sitting RJ because RJ was playing so well. But that, the, the, to me, that game was about the Heat essentially running out of points. Like, <laughs> at a certain point, that Heat team was only going to score for so many points. I think yes. uh, for, for, for what's the name standpoint, I think he was like, we got to make sure they, we keep them at one, whatever it's called, one, what is it, 108 or whatever they had, like 101. Keep them to that and not let them go above that and yeah. we'll be fine. I think that's essentially yeah. what happened. they kind of outlasted them.
0: Yeah, listen, those guys are, you know, the, the, the reason they're not stars is because they can hit shots, you know, and even big pressure packed games, you know, um, Hayward Highsmith can, can make a few threes and, 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 you know, and, and, and those other, and, and Duncan Robinson, etc. But when it comes down to those big boy point, those, you know, those, those fourth right. quarter clutch, those when the stars come out, that's when you need Butler to step up and then, you know, and then hero can hit those kind of shots at those hero shots. Um, whereas the Knicks had, you know, Brunson's built for that, you know, Hart is the guy that this was, he's,
2: he's, yeah. his whole
0: life has been preparing for, you know, hitting those three. You know, he's like he's like Shaq at the free throw line. He'll make him when he counts, essentially, you know. Um, and that's what he did. Uh, a couple things on the decision to bench Arda down the stretch. I did not have a problem with it. Um, not even second guessing because it worked out. Um, in addition to defensively, um, again, R.J. competed offensively, and R.J. was awesome in the first half. The yeah. Knicks aren't close enough to make a run and win the game in the fourth quarter if R.J. doesn't put them on. You know, if R.J. and Randall basically don't keep the team afloat, and and essentially Barrett again a couple first halves in a row now where he's put the team on his back. Um, so this is you know certainly not to knock R.J. Um, was looking at some numbers this morning. Um, last five playoff games. Dude is averaging, um what's the numbers here? 23.2 points on 52.5% shooting to go along with 5.2 rebounds. Um, uh, how about this stat, uh, basketball reference? Barrett is one of six players in NBA history, age 22 or younger, to score at least 19 points and shoot over 47% in five straight playoff games. The other five, mm-hmm. LeBron, Dwight Howard, Amari, Kareem, and Jerry West. So those are the five players wow. in history that have done that. Um, you know, so th- th- Barrett's playing incredibly well. They need him. Um, but it's a, li- but th- the issue is with Barrett on the floor, even though we knocked down his threes, he doesn't draw the respects from the key the perimeter defenders that you would like. Um, and ditto for Hart are again. Through, through the first 84 minutes, you know, before the final eight minutes, final five, five minutes of the fourth quarter of game two, they were essentially leaving Hart alone. They were giving him the yeah. Isaac Core treatment um, in the corner. And that, what that does is w- when Brunson plays alongside those two dudes, Um, It kind of cramps the floor a little bit. And essentially, the Heat were playing like a 1-3-1 kind of hybrid zone. Even when they were not going straight zone, um, they were really, you know, daring, again, daring other players to shoot. When Grimes is on the floor, even though Grimes hasn't hit a bunch of three-pointers in the series, really this whole postseason um, hasn't been effective. Teams know the scouting report tells you do not give that guy open looks, don't cheat right. off you two steps. You need to stay, um, w- within decent closeout distance of that player. I don't care if he's 0 for seven, um, watch that guy shoot, don't give him too many. Um, so th- and and we saw the final seven, eight minutes time with some screen and rolls up top, um, some back screens, et cetera. Um, the floor was a lot more spaced, and Brunson had a lot more room to work um, with Grimes on the floor, kind of spacing. So that Grimes' gravity could help the Knicks' offensive in addition to um, his defensive contributions. They, long story short, they need to find a way to get him more minutes going forward, because um, even if he's not taking shots, he's a threat to make shots. Um, and, yep. and that really helps the the guys on the floor. It's not fair to RJ, who's played yep. really well. So maybe those minutes come at IQ's costs. Um, who, who we'll talk about him. He hasn't. He continues to struggle. Um, but long story short, I don't know if that means switching back up and putting Grimes back in the starting lineup. That's something they have to consider. Yeah. Um, Art, you know, is going to be closing, um, and maybe bring him in with six minutes or so. Uh, but there there are some things that they kind of need to work out.
2: And also, Hart's got to shoot the ball because there were a yes. lot of – he had yes. zero confidence yes. in his shot zero. the first half. Zero. He wasn't even looking to shoot. They were down to shoot, and he wouldn't take those shots. Yep. Like, he's got to shoot the ball. Like, if they're going to leave him open like that, like, he's got to be aggressive. And thankfully, late in the game where the season's on the line, he's, he, he, he knew he had no choice but to put these shots up. Some of them shot by mm-hmm. running out. Um, he has to continue to do that because if he does not shoot the ball, that helps Nick the, the, the heat defense and and he was he was hurting the team offensively by him not shooting the ball in that first half. So uh Knicks able to survive in this game 111-105. These teams don't play again till Tuesday. That's when the series will shift to uh Miami. The Knicks and Heat are tied 1-1. The series heads to South Beach for his game for games 3 and 4 and joining us to provide a Miami perspective on the series is Alex Dono. He co-hosts the Red Hot Hoops Miami Heat podcast for the Odyssey Sports Network. He also does great work covering all things Miami sports, including my beloved Miami Hurricanes, something I probably mentioned a couple of times briefly on this podcast for a locked on Canes. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Me and Tommy really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. EJ and Tommy, thanks for having me. And I'm just glad we can be enemies again. Right. Because (laughs) I, man, I came up in the late nineties. I mean, I I was born in the eighties, but what really cemented my love for basketball was the Heat-Knicks rivalry in the late 90s and Pat Riley being such a huge part of that, the whole Pat the Rat thing. And that's the guy who was the architect of the Miami Heat that we know today. And I've always been looking to rekindle that rivalry. And, you know, I said it before this series started. I I thought this was going to be a seven-game type of series and every game going to be close coming down to the wire and that's that's the way it's played out these first couple of games. So I, I think uh, I, th- I think we'll be uh, we'll be seeing a lot of each other for uh, for the next little bit here because I think we're probably going to get five more games of this.
0: The, the world is a better place when the Heat and Nick fans hate each other. You know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've loved the I've loved the trash talk from Heat fans. I got to admit, like I feel like I don't know. I feel like the LeBron era. I don't want to say softened you guys, but I feel like it was like so easy the championships they came and then and you guys came out of that with such a really solid squad it was almost like you guys kind of became like just kind of the establishment of the nba I re- you guys didn't have any rivalry so we really didn't see a lot of trash talk from he fans as much but i feel like this series has really re- revived that and i've seen so much on the timeline so uh yeah it's been it's been good vibes feels a lot like the late 90s with the
1: trash talk on the fans, maybe not the physical play on the court but the the, 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 the Heat beef with the fans is still real Well, and I'll add something to that, EJ, because there's, you know, just based on the generational thing, there's, you know, a lot of younger Heat fans who don't really remember a whole lot before the Big Three era, right? I mean, isn't I'm I'm an old man in my late 30s, but I I know enough Heat fans in their 20s who it kind of started for them in the Big Three, or if not, it maybe started for them in 2006 with Dwayne Wade winning that championship. But I think that this series and the way that ESPN and TNT are milking it with some of that old footage. Right, some of the old footage from the late 90s, and it's kind of causing a lot of young fans to kind of dig a little bit deeper into the archives and learn what this was all about. So I'm all for it. Yeah, it's been great to see some of the old Knicks. I kind of want to see some old Heat. I want to see some Dan
2: Marley. uh, I don't know, uh, Rashawn Leonard, I don't know where he's at. Uh, You know, uh, if they can get some of these guys in there, uh, in in the building for these uh, games three and game four, that'd be awesome. So uh, we're two games in, series is tied. I got to ask you, from the Heat perspective, how is Heat Nation feeling? being tied 1-1, going back to South Beach?
1: Um, I think that there is a little bit of what I feel is an overreaction in an optimism sense, Mm. thinking, because I'll say this, guys. um, We've all been doing this for way too long to think that one game can define an entire series. Like, every game, every matchup is going to be different. So I find that the attitude of a lot of Heat fans is, hey, it's it's kind of okay that – Butler didn't play in game two and the Heat lost game two because they they stole back home court advantage. And look how competitive they were without Jimmy and without Tyler. And they were really competitive in game two. I didn't think they were going to be when I found out Jimmy didn't play. But I think there's an overconfidence that comes from that in thinking that, hey, this team led most of the game and it didn't really get away from them until around the final five, five and a half minutes without having a superstar on the floor. So that means, assuming Butler comes back game three and beyond, people feel like this is going to be really easy. Got their split in New York. Jimmy's going to be back. They're going to have no problem. To me, every single game tells a different story, guys. And, like, you know, the Heat, uh, you know, they, they took game one in a game where the Knicks shot uncharacteristically poorly from three. I think that had a lot to do with it. And uh, you know the Knicks did what they had to do in Game Two with their season on the line. And guess what? If if the Knicks can get a split in South Florida, they can take home court advantage right back. So honestly, I think in in Butler not playing in Game Two, and I, you know. Spo said that it wasn't gamesmanship, trusting our medical staff. They made the decision for Jimmy that he shouldn't play. Uh, Still, with him not playing, I I felt like the Heat surrendered that second game. But if Mm. if they could have won that game and taken a 2-0 lead, then I'm thinking Heat in five or six, right? But since they split those first two games, now I'm thinking it's probably going to end up in a game seven and then winning a game seven at MSG. Not impossible for the Heat, but going to be really, really difficult. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at this. I think this is going to come down to the wire because the Heat couldn't quite close that game out in game two.
0: I agree with you. That could be a game that they look back on. Uh, Alex, but just circling, we'll get to Jimmy Butler and his availability for game three and how the Heat adjusts one with the other. But um, just kind of big picture. Obviously, Heat didn't play up to expectations during the regular season, kind of staggered into the postseason, got there, and then looked like a different team, highest scoring team in the first round, led the league in offensive efficiency um, against a quality Bucks team who most people, including myself, thought would win the championship this season um was it as simple as them flipping the switch was there some other stuff going on that just kind of took time to kind of figure out or what was your what's been the difference between kind of the playoff heat and the regular season heat thus far
1: yeah there was a lot of stuff um now one person who can flip that switch is butler he just Mm -hmm. he he cares so much more in the playoffs, guys. I mean, in a lot of these regular season games, you know, he's he's in his 30s with a lot of mileage because he, you know, he played all those years under Tom Thibodeau, who kind of sucked all the all the life out of him for a long time. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and so, uh, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy conserves himself during the regular season and in a lot of regular season games. He just doesn't really decide to kind of turn it on until. The fourth quarter where in the playoffs he he pretends everything is the fourth quarter so that's one but for everything else you know for the heat having such a disappointing regular season and just like barely sneaking into the playoffs a lot of it just had to do with um terrible terrible injury bug um it was it was biting the team throughout the year i do think eric spolstra he's kind of this masochist where he kind of likes having to play all these undrafted guys. Cause like, I don't know, he's like a mad scientist. So I think he kind of enjoys it. I don't think Riley in the front office enjoy having so many guys out throughout the year. Um, you know, when they, when they made that, uh, those trades and those deals to acquire uh, Kevin Love specifically and Cody Zeller, it took them a long time to gel, and they experimented with K-Love in a number of different ways to find his role. Started out as a starter, then ended up being a bench guy, but now sometimes he has to start depending on who's in and who's out of the lineup. So everything was just really, really herky-jerky throughout the regular season. And I, I think under Butler's uh, leadership, specifically through that Milwaukee series where he was playing out of his mind, uh, I just think the way he played just kind of inspired everybody else to fall in line. And you even mm-hmm. saw that in in game one when he rolled the ankle and he stayed in and couldn't really move around a whole lot. Just him being out there, I think, had had an effect on on lifting his teammates down the stretch of that game. So it was... The, the regular season was almost like a throwaway because, you know, you end up sneaking in through the play in. But then you knock out the number one seed in the first round. So everything just kind of outside of the fact you're not going to have any home court advantage the rest of the way. That's unfortunate. But outside of that, the seeding doesn't even really matter anymore. The, the regular season was just like it was like a training session. It was like you were running on a treadmill for 82 games. Yeah, and to Jimmy Butler's credit, and we kind of
2: poked fun at him all season, but he talked about, you know, saying, oh, I'll play serious when it's time to play serious. And, you know, it took the fourth quarter of a playing game, <laughs> last game elimination against the Bulls, I guess, to, to pull it out. But then since then, the Heat, whole, their whole team has looked like an entirely different team. So credit to Butler. But as we talk about Jimmy and you go beyond this game, game two, where he doesn't play, you have, you know, now for him, almost a week layoff for game one to game three so plenty of time to potentially get ready how confident are you that he'll be able to get back to being the Jimmy Butler we saw in the Milwaukee series and if he's not how confident are you the heat abilities to kind of mask that and find a way to still come up with the series if Jimmy Butler is indeed 50 to 75 percent of what he normally is
1: yeah like on the one hand the ankle roll looked really bad in live time and his reaction to it but there, there was uh, pretty quick proclamations after the game that hey, it's not as serious as it looks. And then you know the the next day I see him, he's out on Fifth Avenue shopping, yeah. you know, wearing a, a fanny pack. And I thought, oh, okay, so he's gonna play game two. And then he was a, a late scratch in game two. I, you know, I, I mentioned that they they defaulted to the medical staff on him, but I can't help but feel that if the Heat were down one and not up 1-0. I think he would have played in game two. So I, I, I think that they were being a little bit cautious and they kind of punted that game thinking, you know, we can get him five days off in between games, get him back home to South Florida. Um, I, I can't say with 100 percent certainty, but I think he's going to be pretty close to himself when he comes back. All that extra rest. And, you know, he's basically the entire time he's been in a heat uniform. He's always been playing through minor injuries. If it's not ankles, it's been knees. You know, he's basically been on a maintenance program for the last three years. So he's he's always been able to kind of zone some of that stuff out when the lights are brightest. I think it's going to be one of those things where by the time this heat playoff run is over, whether it's in this series or, you know, into the. NBA championship, Jimmy's just going to basically spend like two weeks straight in the cold tub, just like soaking all of his uh, his issues because he's been playing through a lot of stuff. So I, I think we're going to get pretty close to the best version of Butler by the time he comes back.
0: Uh, two games into the series now, you've had an up-close look at the Knickerbockers. Uh, just curious as a, you know, kind of an outside look in um, your thoughts, maybe some expectations you had of the club um, prior to these first two games of the series versus kind of what you've seen. Is there anything that's kind of stood out or surprised you thus far?
1: Uh Hartenstein is an absolute pest. And this guy mm-hmm. is like uh he's one of those. I'm um, like I, I I would love him in a heat uniform. Like he annoys you in any other uniform, but he does so many of those little things and he gave Bam so many problems. So you know to have to have a role player like that is big. Uh you know, Randall is is he gets healthier. Uh you know obviously he He killed the heat in one of those regular season games with a game winner. He's a thorn in anybody's side, especially in Miami's side. Uh, Super impressed by what Hart does on both ends of the floor. And I'm just impressed overall at Jalen Brunson. I mean, that's going to be – he's the type of player, you know, budding superstar type of guy where whoever wins the series, if the Heat win the series, you're going to look back and probably Butler's going to have to be the MVP of the series for Miami. If the Knicks win the series – Jalen Brunson is going to be the guy who's got to lift that team uh, on their shoulders. And I, I think overall fellas um, from top to bottom, uh, this is the best version of the New York Knicks I've seen in a long time. Uh, and I, I think that they are, they're the deeper overall basketball team, especially with the heat, not having Tyler hero because you know he can kind of be that number two scoring option behind Jimmy. So I think the Knicks definitely have like the better overall team. You know, I, I think, Butler's the guy who's, you know, is what we saw in that Bucks series. He's got the highest ceiling if he's on. So if the Heat win the series, it's probably because they've got, you know, one of the hottest players in the playoffs right now. Or if if the Knicks can just keep playing team ball, uh, they could end up being the guys who prevail here. Wow. And then on that same note regarding what you've seen from the Knicks,
2: I'm curious, having you now watched this series and even maybe some of the regular season, what are you surprised about? Or what has stood out to you from what the Heat have been able to do to the Knicks that maybe you didn't expect to see coming into this series in terms of the success they had?
1: Yeah, well, I, I'll definitely say coming out of game two, uh, the success that Miami's undrafted mob has had in this series, uh, I think they combined for like either 71 or 74 points undrafted players in game two. Um, I, I thought maybe uh, the first two games would be a little bit more low scoring than they were. You know, I can remember on our most recent episode of Red Hot Hoops, uh, we were looking at the the total in game two. And it was uh, it, I'm sure it changed once Jimmy was ruled out. But like in the early afternoon yesterday, it was 208. And I'm like, oh, I think it's probably going to creep over 208. Uh, my mm. co-host Hollywood was like, "Now nah, I think it's going to be under 208, like 1990 style type of game." But mm. they they went way over that total, so I, I think that surprised me a little bit because these are these are both strong defensive teams. And in the case of Miami, uh, they didn't really start scoring over 100 points per game consistently till the playoffs. Like the regular season, they were playing 90s ball <laughs> most of the way. <laughs> they, they were you know when they were losing games, they were in the 90s. When they were winning games, they were scoring like 102. So, you know, I think that the uh, just the success that Miami had from, you know, Gabe Vincent and, you know, his 21 points, Caleb Martin, his 22 points in game two. I think one of the things, guys, that we could probably get a little bit more into this, that was a little bit of an unpleasant surprise from a Miami standpoint. And this has been annoying me since last night. How is it in a game when Jimmy sits out, Bam Adebayo can't put up more than 10 shots? Yeah. Can't put up more than ten shots. Like, come on, man. Uh, you know, he he affects the game in a lot of other ways. He's a really good passing big man, six assists. But when you've got no Jimmy and you obviously have no Tyler Hero, who's usually the second scoring option, uh, you know, even if you ha- didn't have a great shooting night, if Bam is trying a lot of like long range jumpers, you got to try more than ten shots in the game. I and and he, you know, he copped to it afterwards. He he put the loss on himself and all that. But uh, I, I thought, guys, it was a no-brainer. When, when Jimmy was ruled out, I'm thinking win or lose, Bam's got to put up at least 15, 20 shots, and they need you know, yeah. 25 points from Adebayo, something like that, and he just didn't have enough. Yeah,
0: the the Knicks' game plan all season under Tibbs has been kind of wall off the paint and force guys to shoot from the outside. So from from a New York perspective, the thinking was, you know, I think a lot of fans were worried that they'd give up too many open looks, and um, actually the Heat taking forty nine three pointers was the most three-pointers the Knicks have ever allowed uh most attempts the Knicks have ever allowed in a postseason game in franchise history and the 17 makes are the most they've ever allowed as well so um I think Knicks fans are worried about that um uh, but I I agree with you um you know and to Bam's credit he did take responsibility um you know for for not probably not producing as as much as he fans would have hoped um last one for me just kind of um, you know, you, you've talked about kind of the contributors and the undrafted free agent gang. Um, when Hero went down in game one against Milwaukee, I think the thought was. OK, this is a low scoring team and now they're really going to struggle to score missing, you know, their second or third, you know, best offensive option. So how has the you know, we've kind of gotten a, a look at it now. Vincent has hit some big shots and and Kevin Love. Is that just basically the idea is just to spread the wealth even even further. And that's actually opened up some more scoring opportunities for Butler and other guys. Um, but how has the loss of hero kind of impacted the, the team over these last
1: couple? Well, years? I think what you just described is plan B. I think Plan A has just been Jimmy's got to score basically enough points for he and Tyler's averages. I think I think that was mm. kind of Plan A, uh, but you yeah. but the Plan B part so, something kind of kind of interesting uh, without Tyler uh, and even without Jimmy. I'm not saying they don't miss these guys. Believe me, they do. But the the ball was moving really yeah. well for most of that game, like that. Absolutely. So that and, and that's why I say that Spo is a little bit sadistic and that Eric Spolster kind of likes when he's got to coach these underdogs because I think that's when you really see Spolstra basketball like nothing in isolation Uh, you know he's got plays drawn up for everything and the ball never stops moving so uh, I think we saw a lot of that but then the problem is you get down to closing time you get down to the final five minutes and you're at MSG and when you don't have a real stone cold killer out there like you know there's no way to keep up and that was what I was kind of wondering throughout that game was you know it didn't happen until pretty late like are the Knicks going to pull away at some point? And then, he, and even when they started to pull away, I'll give the Heat credit. Like Duncan Robinson hit a hit yeah. a big three late. You know, Struce had some big shots. Like the Heat never really went away. And I wanted to ask you guys something, yeah. If I could, as far as and 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 EJ, you can start, and then Tommy, uh, you can take it from there. Because I, I talked a little bit earlier about kind of like the overconfidence from some Heat fans saying, like we got the split we needed. Butler's coming back. We're still in great shape. Heat and five, all that stuff um how do you guys feel from a Knicks standpoint EJ like were you a little bit frustrated with the idea that Butler didn't play a lot of people and they were I think 10 and a half point favorites the Knicks by the time the game tipped off were you Mm -hmm. a little bit disappointed by not running them out of the gym last night and what do you think that says about the series
2: yeah it was highly frustrating I was in the building and it was interesting It it was a building that was a little tense I would say um not the kind of animal zoo kind of cry we've seen in these other playoff games and I think that the Knicks fans kind of knew from the beginning once Butler was out there was a lot of pressure on Knicks to kind of dispatch this Heat team very quickly and then once that did not happen I think the Knicks team and the building all got really tense um I think it wasn't so much I think for me the frustrating that they didn't just blow them out on just in a vacuum it was the process to why they could not dispatch this team it was how poorly they were defensively um The Heat have not been a great shooting team, but they've shot really well in these playoffs. And it seemed like there was like a lack of respect for the Heat's outside shooting, especially in a game where you know you don't have Butler. So their one shot really is to launch as many threes as possible. I think that that was a frustrating part was that the Knicks should kind of understood the game plan, understood the assignment, and it seemed like they did it. And it kind of played around way too long in that game. So that was a frustrating part for me. And I think it does temper some of my expectations. Moving forward, I think a lot of Nick fans. It was very interesting because I know you could probably speak to it as a Heat fan. Like I felt a lot of Nick fans, you know, saw the Heat beat the Bucks and said, "Oh, this is you know, we're gonna, we got we got past the Eastern Conference Finals." And I think that Bucks fans, I mean, excuse me, uh, Heat fans probably saw the Knicks beat the Cavs and said, "Oh, well, <laughs> this is great. Donovan Mitchell's out of the way. Now we got a path to the to the East Conference Finals." So I think that it, it kind of presents an interesting matchup. I think both kind of fan bases came in maybe a little uh overconfident, having really kind of shocked the NBA world with both of their series wins. Maybe the Knicks not necessarily women being so dominant against Cleveland and Miami both winning and dominating but Milwaukee the way they did. So long answer, but yeah I, I thought that the 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 frustration was just the lack of focus for the Knicks in that game too.
0: So. Yeah I'll piggyback a little bit on EJ there. I thought the 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 process and the 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 way they got to that, you know, one possession game, five minutes left was a little bit frustrating. Um, again, drop coverage, letting, you know, you knew the heat going in, had to hit a, a ton of three-pointers in order to kind of hang around without Jimmy Butler in the game. But I didn't – I thought the spread was way too high without Butler. Listen, this, this series, as you noted in the beginning, this series is going to be a rock fight. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be physical. Um, whether Jimmy Butler's on the floor, whether Randall's on the floor, um, guys are going to get after it. The Heat are, you know, Spoe's one of if not the best tactician in the NBA, one of the best. Um, and I thought going into game two, especially when Butler was ruled out, the pressure already obviously was already a must-win game for the Knicks. Now without Butler, the Heat could basically were playing complete house money. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Duncan Robinson, who was you know had a poor game in Game One. Those guys, worst case scenario, they get blown out. Hey, let's go have some dinner in in Manhattan. Nobody expected us. The carbon
2: with Aaron Rodgers,
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. You know, Um, and I just thought that was kind of the vibe that the Heat could come in with it. Um, Whereas the Heat, whereas the Knicks were playing with 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 a ton of pressure on them. Um, uh, uh, Randall, obviously coming back first time he had played in a week, looked to be moving around pretty well. Brunson nursing and ankle injuries, a major concern. He looked, you know, only made one field goal, made his first three-pointer in the corner um, in the first quarter, missed five in a row before halftime. So I thought there were definite cause for concern, not just with the score, but how it got there. Um, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Hardenstein had a big impact in the second half. And then, the, and you know, and the other thing about it, you know, you, you, you talked about how when Butler was out, the ball moved more freely. Randall coming back, the Knicks tends to, you know, move the ball a lot better. Randall's not there to kind of eat up, you know, all the, Positives he brings to the table, ball slows down a little bit. His obviously because Randall's usage rates is is, is quite high. Um, you know they got to work that back into the mix. So there's a lot of moving parts there. Um, but ultimately at the end, uh, the Knicks, you know, with Brunson and and Hart hitting those big clutch threes and and Hart and getting offensive rebounds and setting screens, etc., was the difference. So um, yeah, I listen uh, as I wrote about this morning. Um, they don't call it a must win pretty game. They just call it a must win game. Um, <laughs>
1: that
0: <laughs> so I think that's kind of where the Nick fan you know should probably be thinking of it you know you lost game one you had to split two now just go down to Miami um, and hey we got a five game series Nick's first heat I think we've uh, we've been there before I forgot how it I got how it turned out but
1: well we don't remind Knicks me about that question. one <laughs> 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 but uh, it should be fun
0: well,
1: well and, and it's funny you bring up that five game series because that that was one of the uh, the few times in in history. That an eight seed took out a one, so I, I feel like the Heat exercised that demon a little bit, taking out mm-hmm. Milwaukee, right? Because that was only the sixth time that ever happened. So it's like yeah. it didn't make me forget about about <laughs> that series against the Knicks, but it uh, it softened the blow a little bit. Yeah, I think, I think I, the, the, yeah, the interesting ahead, thing for both these teams
0: is there you know you talk about a clear path not just to the Eastern Conference Finals now but to the finals I mean the Celtics look infinitely vulnerable um whatever's going on they are obviously losing the game without Embiid and now Embiid comes back so we'll see if the Celtics can tie it up um but can Embiid stay healthy and either team would have to like their chances uh, against the sixer lists uh, uh, Embiid list sixer team so we'll see how that plays out but um so many interesting storylines but that's one of them there's you know heading into game three the, sh- the pressure shifts a little bit back to Miami but I think both teams recognize there's a significant opportunity to make some noise
2: here and real quickly before i ask uh, uh how you see this series playing out as a longtime heat fan you know I've, it's funny i feel like tony's probably about it because I've, I've talked so much about this Knicks heat rivalry and, and talked about the favorite memories i had as a Knicks fan during the rivalry and i'm curious as a heat fan what is your favorite memory from the nick's heat rivalry like i know like you know the nicks won a lot of those series so you know we have a lot of thoughts of them winning but from a heats fans perspective I mean, you guys had some big wins you yeah. won in 97 like, listen, what, what, listen what's, what's the... before you answer we can't, we don't say pj brown's name on this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that limits my options a little bit but <laughs> in, in, in that in that series when there was like a melee going on on the court i i recall uh jeff van gundy like clinging to alonzo morning's leg it's like one of my one of my favorite snapshots yeah. and that was and that 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 was just such it was it was pandemonium like that 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 series the end of that it was just so crazy and so wild I was like uh, I think I was a seventh or eighth grader at the time and that that just got me so pumped for playoff basketball and that that's always what it should be you know mm. I'm sure the the final scores of those games were like in the 80s and in the 90s at most it was it was just so much more physical back then and there just there seemed to be like. You know, I'm sure there was a professional admiration, but there seemed to just be like a like a hatred between those yeah. two teams and those fan bases, which yeah, everyone's too nice these days. You don't get nearly as much of that. But yeah, it, it was that that series for me, because, you know, in most of those late 90s series, the Knicks would end up getting the better of Miami. That, that was the one time where it's like, OK, we got this one. And, and that name that we shall not speak uh, was certainly a big part of that. Yeah, it's funny. And like being in seventh, eighth grade, that's
2: a great time. Cause like I, I always talk about how I was like eight or nine years old, you know, seen like eight and 11, I guess, during those runs. And that's kind of when you first really kind of grow your love for the NBA. Like I think that's a great time. And I'm happy I lived during that time and that series happened. But I think if there was a second time I could say when, when I wanted to, when would I have wanted to be in terms of age during that series? I think like that's the perfect time. Cause that's when like now, like all you care about is sports, probably. All you care about is that stuff. So you're like fully invested and it's everything that, that, that means the world to you. So that's an awesome time to kind of be around watching those, uh, those classic games.
1: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. What, what about you guys? I'm, I'm sure that that specific series was probably not the one. <laughs> oh, you would no. So no, no,
2: no. Wh- where do you guys go? Yeah. I I mean, I was Alan Houston. Is shot is hanging up in my, in my, Oh, area.
1: see that, so. see that, that, I think on red hot hoops, I'm going to ban that name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, sorry, but yeah, that that Alan Houston shot. I mean, you know, that was a shot. I'll never forget where I was in my living room. You know, had to call my dad on his terrible cell phone to tell him what happened. It was this, you know, this nineteen ninety nine. So he has one of the first ever cell phones, probably. Yeah, that was definitely by far the the, the number one for me. Yeah, I think
0: uh, the Houston shot is, uh, you know, in Knicks lore. Listen, the that's probably the last big shot, big moment that Knicks have had. You know, and in, in the the twenty first century has not been kind to uh, the, the franchise. So, uh, yeah, I think we got to go with uh, Allen. I'll
1: book. tell you another one. Another one for me, in a little bit more of a modern era. And and you know, this, this was, uh, you know, the whole when when the Heat stomped out Lynn sanity, and when uh, <laughs> I think yeah. it was, I think it was the same series when Amari Stoudemire, who would end up, he would end up being on the Heat. Later in his career, what he he smashed the uh, the fire extinguisher oh, in frustration. Yeah. That was uh, they they were trolling him for years yes, down yeah. in Miami about that.
2: Yeah, I had so much hope for that series too, because like, you know, like Lynn had got hurt, so he didn't play. Yeah, that's right. But the Knicks were playing so well up into that point, And then they just got smoked in game one. And they lost by a like hundred points in game one. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, this and then Mari breaks his hand or hurts his hand, cuts his you know, cuts his hand and and the series is over. So yeah, bad memories there, but uh, it's nonetheless, you know, this is why uh, this rivalry is so awesome because you got both sides have their uh, their bragging rights and um, someone's going to be right here. Someone's going to be bragging after this series. But uh, Alex Dono, you got to make sure you catch Red Hot Hoops, Miami Heat podcast, Odyssey Sports Network, catch all of his work also uh, covering the Miami Hurricanes as well, Locked On Canes. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: Dude, it's my pleasure, and, and guys, hopefully we, we can do this again, maybe uh, in this series, because uh, again yeah. I, I i think it's I think it's probably going to go seven, so we'll, we'll see.
0: I think we agree.
1: Thank you, Alex.
2: Thank you, guys. Special game, special thanks again to Alex Donna of uh, the Red Hot Miami Heat Podcast for the Odyssey Sports Network. Really great stuff there. I want to uh, wrap today's podcast quickly, talking about. Um, the award season kind of being finished. So we saw Joel Embiid was named MVP on Tuesday. So congrats to him. And on Wednesday, our final award for this season, we had uh Monty McNair being named the executive of the year. McNair is the general manager of the Sacramento Kings. That means that Leon Rose did not win this award. Now McNair got 16 out of 30 first place votes. Leon Rose finished in eighth place among executives up for this award um he had just two second place votes and one third place vote Uh, kobe altman of cleveland and justin zanuck of utah finished in the top three i gotta be honest i think that this is a load of crap that leon rose finished in eighth um especially when i see the guys that were ahead of him when i look at kobe altman and zanuck in utah i don't know why justin zanuck's there i'm sorry I, i don't know why he's there uh he traded away their core they had a decent season, but now they're not in a position to draft that high in the first round. I just don't. The jury seems to be out. I mean, I guess trading away Gobert and getting so much assets, I guess, is why the they, they get traded. One, maybe the most lopsided trade in NBA history. So it I is, know. but it's like for me, Tommy, it's like okay. So because of to me, it's part of that because of what Gobert did in Minnesota. Like I, I don't, yeah. know, like if you should get credit for Gobert failing in another place, you know, and Walker
0: and Walker Kessler played well for Utah,
2: but oh, so I that's play good. Understand. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I thought Zang, they gave him a lot of credit there. Um, Kobe Altman, they, Utah, I mean, Cleveland had a great jump. But to me, the Knicks went from being a team that was outside the playing, outside the playoffs, had a terrible season last year, to being the fifth seed. Cleveland was in the play-in last year and moved up to four. They were they were the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference. The Knicks moved up way more spots than Cleveland. And they, had, they came from a, a – they started with less, you know. They didn't have <laughs> They didn't have uh, all two all stars in their team, and Jared Allen and, uh, and 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 Darius Garland. So for the Knicks to make the jump that they did, knowing that the moves that they did kind of changed their entire season—one starting in the offseason with Bronson, and, and then two with Josh Hart trade—I I think Leon Rose finishing eighth place. This is crap. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I really thought that he at least finished in the top. top I think he should have won this award. Quite frankly. Even the McNair, I I think McNair is a great guy. He could definitely have won this, but, um, but to me, like, I don't know. You have a problem with Leon Rose finishing in eighth. I have a big problem. with this. I
0: I do. I'm not going to lie to you. Listen, you want to make the case that Monty McNair should win the award. I'll listen. Um, even though it seems like he's getting credit for this, a bonus trade, which actually happened the prior. Yeah. That
2: happened last season.
0: Exactly. I mean, the herder trade was great. Um, the month was terrific. The hiring of Mike Brown, the Kings were one of the best stories of the year. You want to make a case for him? I'll listen. Um, Colby Altman, Cleveland pulled the trigger on Donovan Mitchell. Again, this is strictly regular season. Uh, you want to say that that was, he was instrumental and you want to you know give him votes. I understand. Again, the Zanuck, Utah, Danny Ainge stuff. We talked about it. Um, I didn't love the Mitchell trade from their perspective, but they did get an all-star back, a young all-star. And the Gobert trade was insanely lopsided. Um, right. right place, right time, yada, yada. That being said, Those are the only three guys I'm going to listen to that you can give a vote ahead of of Leon Rose for. I've I've written about this. We've talked about this. What was the best free agent signing in the NBA last offseason? Brunson. Jalen Brunson signing. What was the most impactful trade at the deadline? You want Kevin Durant? Yes. We'll leave Kevin Durant aside, which the team
2: gave up. No, I'll be that guy. I'm including Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant played almost zero... He played almost zero regular season games for the Suns. I know they didn't point. lose games without him, but they didn't play many games with him. Good the point. Knicks were in the midst of trying to stay out of the play-in, and Josh Hart played all of these games. They have one of the best records in the NBA since Josh Hart game. So we're going impactful. Now you're not best trade or best player getting moved, but impactful trade, I'm still taking Josh Hart, even over Kevin Durant. Was there
0: a, was there a better $8 million, $8 to $10 million signing than Isaiah Hardenstein?
2: You I'd argue to, that one.
0: I'd yeah. have to look at them, but there's probably some float around there. Um, but it's, you know, in, in terms of impact, uh, you know, it, it, that's right up there. Um, the Mitchell Robinson contract looks like a tremendous value after exactly. he played, played well in the regular season um, and, and then, you know, performed. Obviously, we're not going to factor in the playoffs, et cetera. All that being said, there was one part that the front office executive responsible for that was one man. Um, obviously, the, the front office team, but the guy you can vote for from the Knicks perspective is Leon Rose. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm not sure you can tell me who finished fifth, sixth, seventh in the, in the voting.
2: Yeah, I have the list here. I mean, you had, uh Calvin Booth finished fourth. I mean, if you, OK, KCP trade, good trade. I, the team didn't change that much. I, I don't know. So I would not have. I would early. not have voted him over Leon Rose. No. I guess yeah. Uh, Brad Stevens. He got two first place votes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's because of I guess uh, Bronson. Okay. okay. A team that was uh, went to the finals last year. <laughs> yes. Number two. Number two seed last year is number two seed this year. And we're gonna, okay. And then you got uh, Joe Horst from Milwaukee. I have no idea why he got any votes. I, uh, Milwaukee was the same team last season. Um, they, they added jay they tra- crowder they,
0: they, they traded four second round picks for Jake crowder. Didn't play. <laughs> didn't play.
2: so I, I don't know what that's about and then james jones from phoenix got a one first place vote and he got a bunch of third place votes and that was a team that was disappointing during the mid-season they traded for kevin durant he basically didn't play during that whole regular season um michael bridges looks like a star
0: ej we'll 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 talk about it over the summer but there a conversation needs to be had they gave up four first round draft picks yeah mikhail bridges and cameron johnson if you're and a pick if, swap it, it, listen if you're a team you know let's say they you know what who knows what happens with cp3 let's you know maybe they lose in five or six to the nuggets like if you're the Suns going forward would you rather have KD at 50 million a year or mikhail bridges at 25 and i'm not even talking about cam johnson in the four first round pick so um, yeah
2: yeah there's a yeah I, I mean yeah i mean this this list is this list is garbage i'm sorry this list is gar- like i know we had our phone with you no know, brogdon i think that IQ should have been six-man of the year, but Brogdon had a great year. You know, we can have our discussions about most improved player. I think that, you know, uh, Lowry making it totally understandable. Shea finishing ahead, understandable. Like, and I think – I'm not even going crazy about Monty winning because he did make – he actually did make really good moves that, like, helped the Kings win this year, even beyond Sabonis, even though I think that he's getting a lot for the Sabonis trade. But, I mean, those other guys, like – And I'll I'll go back on Zanek because while I'll admit yes that Gobert trade was lopsided, I just don't think it like to me it's like your forecast is something that you don't know how it's going to turn out. Like that was a team that was in the playoffs last year. This year they didn't make the playoffs or the play in. Worse, and okay they have these
0: assets missed it, so they don't have a lottery. They don't have right.
2: They they didn't they didn't finagle it enough where they can get like you know a really impactful player in the draft. Like, you're giving them saying based on, well, I think they're going to be really good in a couple of years because they should get good draft picks. Like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if they're going to draft well. Like, not, like, I don't think he should have been even in the discussion for this.
0: Not to mention the fact some of the best trades are the trades you don't make. Knicks right. didn't trade three first-round picks for DeJounte Murray. Instead signed Jalen Brunson. That worked out beautifully. And they didn't trade Julius Randle. They didn't sell low on Julius Randle, who I thought they sh- probably should have at least very seriously considered. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I would have been mistaken. Turns out Leon yeah. Rose was right. So if we're looking at the big picture, you have to give a guy credit for the totality of the decisions. And I don't understand how you could possibly think that 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 seven executives, it, it, all all factoring into decisions. When you factor in expectations heading into the season, results of yeah. the regular season, and the key pieces that you brought into the the roster at, that ended the, the prior season, I I just don't understand how you how Rose isn't higher. It, it, you know, and, it, it, again, McNair probably the only guy I would say that that deserves to be ahead of.
2: And if the, if you want to really have a have a gag, I mentioned how Leon Rose got no first place votes. He got two second place votes and one third. Uh, The only guy, you know, that got a first-place vote outside of those three guys I mentioned, along with Joe Horace and James Jones, was someone who finished behind Leon Rose. You want to guess who it is?
0: I I don't – who? Tell me.
2: Sean Marks? Sean Marks. (laughs) Sean Marks got a first-place vote for executive of the year. Bro, come on. Sean Marks of the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that. Like. I, and I know that these, I think these votes are public i think there's a way no, no, no. I, I,
0: I, howard beck tweeted and the mbpa president i assume he's right he said these votes unlike the all wow. unlike the MVP and the other stuff well, i don't know the reason i don't know the rationale maybe it's because they don't want you know uh you know revenge from executives on right yeah
2: it makes sense i guess media works a lot with the front office right
0: right right so the, those guys uh but yeah they, those votes will not be made but, but whoever you know whoever voted for for brad stevens and mark should be
2: called on the carpet yeah i mean come on like, Mark's, like I, I don't understand that. Like, even if you think he made a good, made good trades for that KD Kyrie thing, like right. he had no choice.
0: Right. Kyrie said, give me
2: here." Katie said, give yes, me higher. Like, yes, yes. like you don't get it. Well, you know, KD, then Katie should get the award for most, for best executive of the year for the Brooklyn Nets. Cause he's the one that yep. got them all those yes. assets. Yes. 100%. So like, so if Katie doesn't demand a trade, he's still in Brooklyn and he would, and John Marks wouldn't probably been a part of this. So, I mean, this was this was awful. I mean, I, I really again it's the Knicks. I don't expect good things, but when I saw eighth place for Leon Rose, I was like, eight executive who and I'm seeing these names, and I'm like, come on, Brunson, most impactful signing. Hart, at least arguably, most impactful trade. That enough to get you in the top three. Like any other GM, yes. like that would have been enough. They wouldn't that's, have what been they, that's what they judge you by. trades and signings and trades, essentially. <laughs> right, exactly. And I'll be honest, I feel like I feel like this was, and I'm I don't like the Garden media policy. But I think that this was some some 100%. people feeling a way about Leon Rose not wanting to talk to anybody. A hundred
0: percent. You can't convince me the fact that he's which which is ridiculous. He should. It, he I know. It's it's so easy to answer soft you know questions with with you know non you the team it's, I mean, it's everything. So the fact that the, the, the garden establishment enables him, allows him to do that is, is, a, is, a, you know, it's ridiculous. It's awful. Yeah.
2: We all agree that, that.
0: He chooses to do it is ridiculous. There's no reason for it. It's inexcusable. It all that being said, that clearly impacted people voting on, on his, you know, on his capability and whether he's one of the executive of the year. No question.
2: Yeah. So that was unfortunate. So Knicks go home empty handed on the award season. But we do have all NBA. We do have an uh, All-NBA defensive team. Knicks might have any rookies, so we won't have to worry about that. So um, there's a chance maybe Mitchell Robinson, uh, All-Defensive team, perhaps maybe first team, second team, unlikely, but we'll see. All-NBA team, we got Brunson, you got Randall. So we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, no awards for the Knicks. They get did get two finals, so that was cool with Brunson and uh, quickly. But Leon Rose, man, eighth place in the next year. That's You guys got to be better, man. That That's terrible.
1: That's anyway, crazy.
2: that's going to – Uh,
0: The only thing that Rose cares about and Tibbs cares about and Brunson and Randall and quickly the Knicks are still playing. They got a chance to advance the second round. So you get them to the uh, Eastern Conference finals. They'll take that over individual awards.
2: Exactly. May basketball is happening in New York and and that's really the most, most important thing that matters. And it's a testament to Rose and all these guys that have contributed um, in the front office and the coaching staff and the players. So let's keep it going. Let's have a much better performance than what we saw in game two, despite the W. So that's going to do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Plus. I want to thank Alex Dano for joining us. He did awesome. Uh, Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart, on Twitter and Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you guys again so much for checking us out. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a Year Fix podcast, Odyssey WFN original. You can catch all these episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service. get these episodes every time we drop. We drop three times a week, so we'll have a preview of Game 3 later this week. So you can keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. That'll do it for now, though. Thank you guys so much again. For Tommy. I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys.
1: Peace.